What's up, you guys? Hi. Welcome back. Welcome back. Sorry for the delay in getting this episode out. But you can wait. We're, we're busy. We have a lot going on. We're busy. And we were actually just talking about how we are both working professionals. <laughs> they can't take that away from us. We do have jobs. And that is something we should celebrate. Yeah. You know what? We, we did have... We had interesting weeks, but at least we're not John Tory, you know? Exactly. Okay. Since you mentioned it, let's just get right into the hot topics of the week. You lead. Okay. I'm Holly, by the way. Oh, I'm Tristan, and this is more on her later. Woo! All right. Should we go to John Tory, or do you want to talk about... Okay, yeah. I can... Well, the first on our list for the week is I just wanted to mention I did see Megan in theaters this weekend. I haven't gone to the movie theater in forever. Well, actually, I did. I hadn't gone to the movie theater in like three years, like since pre-pandemic. But I did go um, maybe a month or two ago to see. um, Oh, my God. What's what's it called? I I just read the book, Holly, about the Weinstein article. Oh, She Said. She Said, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I saw She Said in theater with Carrie Mulligan. How was that? It was okay. It just, I mean, it's interesting. I saw reviews saying this too. It's like now that we're seeing all of these Me Too movies come out and they're not getting the reception that I think Hollywood thought they would get. Like mm-hmm. it, it was interesting and it was a good journalism movie. Was it particularly action-packed? No. Like the whole movie is about the journalist's experience covering Harvey Weinstein. Um, So it's about those specific New York Times journalists. It's not necessarily about the crimes that Harvey Weinstein committed. So in that way, like the whole movie is leading up to them publishing their article. It's not... Sounds like my kind of movie. Yeah, but it's not at all about like the fallout or anything like that. Like it literally is just the journalistic process. And it was very well done and very interesting. But I think maybe people might have thought they were getting more of a sensational movie. Whereas it was a little more procedural. Do you remember that movie Spotlight? I think so, it yeah. It was like with Mark Ruffalo about oh, the yeah, Boston yeah, yeah. priest yeah. scandal. I feel like that was kind of the pinnacle of journalistic like, yeah, hero Yeah, Trevor movies. said it was a very similar similar okay. vibe to that. So. Yeah, that one kind of came and went. But what about Megan? I okay, feel like so Megan's making an impact on I, the culture. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Megan has shook the table. Megan, I think, is a queer icon in a lot of ways. And I, I said the minute I left the theater, I turned to Trevor and I was like, this Halloween, like the number of Megan girls... And boys, I think yeah. I think people of all gender presentation will be dressing <laughs> as Megan for Halloween. Um, it was so good. It was very, and I don't like a horror movie. Me neither. It was very um, Black Mirror-esque, Ooh. which is like obvious. I mean, even the theme of the film, it's just, I mean, it's not a spoiler, but it's like AI tech being taken out of control. It's like, a, it's a really good, um, like update on Chucky like the idea of those kind of Chucky movies which I've never seen but okay child's play movies um but it was really good and what was great about it is that like it has that Black Mirror kind of sense of humor underneath it like it's not I wouldn't even really call it a horror film there are like a couple spooky moments but there are some like hilarious moments Trevor was like crying of laughter really like, couldn't okay. keep his laughter in because it was so funny there's one moment in particular that is so funny but it was good and it was spooky and like kind of thrilling. And it starred Alison Williams from Girls, who we Marnie love Marnie. Michaels, yeah, and I can't look legend. at her. Yeah. I can't look at her and not see Marnie. I'm like, okay, not Marnie being a toy inventor now, but. <laughs> oh, she's, I thought she's the aunt of the little girl and she a is, toy inventor. So, the, so, so no, this isn't a spoiler, but she um, becomes the guardian of her niece. 
and she is also a toy inventor who oh. has invented and she's she's testing this new doll on that her That is niece. just the perfect She's like the prototype. <laughs> she gives perfect role tech investor toy inventor. Totally. So <laughs> honestly, it was like really funny and good. I mean, you know, it's not like an Oscar winner or anything, but it was fun. It was like a fun movie. And they've already said there's a sequel coming and I will be in line to see the sequel. So I love it. Question. Did you go to the VIP? No. Well, we went to the, um, the big one, the, what, what's that theater called? Scotiabank. We went to Scotiabank. Oh, okay. I we love, were going to go. Yeah, so, Scotiabank. Yeah. I love the Scotiabank. There's mm-hmm. something still fun about it. Yeah. They have some really big screens, but you know, I love to go to a nice VIP movie, get a little margarita I've delivered to my seat. <laughs> Really? Yeah, I know they have it here, but... Oh my god, once when we were in Ryerson, there was, you know, there's the VIP at Young and Dundas, and yeah. like the weekend when he was dating Selena Gomez, apparently he took her to like the VIP theater there, and I'm like, oh, I should have gone that night, oh my god. Oh I my god, right? Been at the movies with him. Anyways, that's Megan, but um, there's more Toronto news than what's well, on at the movies. Y- so, as literally, as I was <laughs> leaving the theater... I was checking my phone in the car and I turned to Trevor and I was like, oh my God, John Tor-. And I was just, the very first headline was affair with 31 year old staffer. They hadn't even announced that he had stepped down yet. So I was like, oh my God, Trevor, like he had an affair with a 31 year old staffer. And Trevor was like, oh, I wonder if he'll step down. I bet he'll step down. And then by the time we were home, mm-hmm. like the drive he home, resigned. he had resigned. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, our, our mayor, um, who we've just reelected, what, like a few months ago, he's been having an affair and he's needed, he's going to step down and focus on his 40 year marriage to Barb <gasps> and their family. Oh my God. Okay. Not to cut you off, but did you <laughs> see the clip this week? He was on like, um, breakfast television last week and the host asked him about valentine's day and was like you know you've been married for 40 years like who's the bigger romantic in the relationship and it is so painful to watch because i from what i read by that point he knew the article was coming it was coming so it's like he has to sit there now and be like yep romance valentine's day like ah Okay, I must watch that, but um, all that we really have to say is it did. I don't know if this is broken officially yet, but my boyfriend keeps his ear to the pavement, and we have found out who this woman is. Um, I'm not going to say her name, because I don't have that, but I do have one of her titles. She was Miss Sault Ste. Marie, so there you go. Um, (laughs) And let me just say, you guys, picture what Miss Sue St. Marie looks like in your mind. And that is exactly what she looks like. Yeah. She just gives me Miss Sue St. Marie. She looks like she was made in a lab to tempt John Tory from, to wander yes. from his marriage. Yes. <laughs> and sh- the caption under her photo says, Miss Sue St. Marie was just elected to city council. And that's where the and story begins. the scene of the crime. <laughs> oh my God, it's All so right. bad. And you know what I actually do? So the other half of this is not just how he, that he had the affair, but also... Um, he, I guess, helped her get a job really high up in Rogers, <laughs> oh. like corporate. So she yes. got a position as I'm, you, you guys will have to look it up. I don't have the exact title, but she got like a, a high up role as like a director or whatever within Rogers communications. And John Tory is like on the board. Yeah. The Tory and the Rogers family go way back and they pretty much just hand jobs, uh, between each other. And you know what? That's <laughs> I, mean, just the... I think in this case, they were maybe handing, handing jobs for hand jobs. <laughs> that's just the city we live in these days and what can you really do about it of course there seems to be a lot more to the story like is isn't a fair enough to take down the mayor but um well i mean if we think back on rob ford i remember we were at tmu now ryerson at the time during like the tail end of all the rob ford stuff i remember Mm -hmm. i had a new studies course with the the guest the lecturer for the course was she was one of the journalists who she worked in city hall when that was all happening so she was teaching this new study course whatever 
And he got away. Like, he just, it's yeah. like, it goes to, sh- I mean, in politics, it's like, it's the Donald Trump approach of just like, until you admit admit wrongdoing. Yeah. Like, if you just don't admit the wrongdoing, they can, it seems like they can just do whatever they want and just stay there forever. So it is pretty, in a way, shocking that John Tory did just admit it and step well, down. Well, there's lots of theories going around. Maybe he didn't want to be mayor anymore. There's been so many scandals and corruption in the city. Like, there might be something bigger going on. But we're not going to figure that out here. So more to come on that story. Okay, but last thing, Holly, who okay. do you want to see run for mayor in his place? It could be anyone, not a politician. Oh my God, um, Chair girl. Uh, no, that was disrespectful. I didn't like okay, her sorry, behavior. Okay, sorry. I take it back. Mm, who's a great Torontonian? The Believe guy at Young and Dundas. Yeah. I don't know. I don't even know. I know. I'm trying to think. Who's a great Torontonian? Us. <laughs> you should run. That's the first thing I thought That's of. I'm the first like, thing well, I, thought I mean, of. I could do it. We do but... a pretty good job. It doesn't look that hard. No, I'm just <laughs> It looks very hard. I mean, with what's been going on lately on the TTC, <gasps> I, I wouldn't want to be... I know. No, I wouldn't want to be uh, the driver's seat. the top seat. of that food chain. So we're going to move on to something we'll a keep bit you more posted. Yeah, a bit more yeah. R-speed, whatever. Boring, yawning. Um, Teresa Giudici. So we'll, have you why don't we... Okay. Hello. Clap. Clap if you know Teresa, Teresa Giudice. We know Teresa Giudice. Did you know Trevor met her at a book signing no. at Maple Leaf Gardens? Skinny at the, Italian? The Loblaws. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. Uh, I don't know if it was skinny Italian. Like, it was like 10 years okay. ago. But I think it was like 2013 era. So it might not specifically be skinny Italian. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he, ha- he actually has a picture with Tree. And before we get into what we want to talk about, did you watch, you of course watched the premiere of Houses of New Jersey. Yes. What season are we at? 13. 13. Lucky number 13. What did you think? I watched as well. Yeah, I like loved it. It's one of my favorite franchises, so they could pretty much film anything and I would be like in ecstasy. But um, I think we've got a lot of great newbies this season and I thought it was a great episode. Oh, I love Louis, Teresa's fiance now husband. I have you been with him Louis? since day one. Yes. I'm, it's controversial, I know. People think he's dirty drawing her, but they are true soulmates, <laughs> partners, and lovers. I do think, I mean... Look at I how like her behavior he has is, improved. Totally. I was just going to say that. He helps her kind of, it seems at least, that he really helps her manage her anger and her response to different triggers. <laughs> but then I do get a little bit uncomfortable when he like stops her from speaking and like fills in the blanks for her of like, Teresa, tell Margaret how you are feeling. But but then on the other hand, it's like, Teresa it's maybe needs that. Yeah, they make it work. It's not like she's an angel either. So I love yeah. their back and forth. And honestly, I love um, their Buddhist beliefs that they share. We love, I love, I mean, the, the, the girls, her four beautiful daughters oh. seem to be getting along beautifully with his ch- children. His yes. one son has um, autism needs. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the girls seem to be really great with him. Melania took him to Starbucks, which I thought was really cute. I also love the newbies. I thought... Okay, you guys, this is going to be bad. I can't remember their names at this point. So we've got the blonde-haired girl. Danielle. Danielle. I thought her name. Okay, thank Mm -hmm. you. Love Danielle. She is giving me mob wives energy in the best possible way. And her husband is arguably the best looking house husband on New Jersey. Oh, I think he might have just fallen for her hyping up her husband. She's like, my husband, he's a true Adonis. Oh my God, look at him. He looks okay, but like, okay, you, know, you guys, I mean, up. if you guys know me, I have a real soft spot for the Jersey house husbands. They, <laughs> Jersey has the best looking house husbands, arguably, of any oh, franchise for me, okay. to me personally. Okay. okay? Joe Gorga, you guys know, I have loved Joe Gorga from the minute I laid eyes on him. Frank Catania, a love. Yeah, oh I got a God. cameo They're... from him once, so, so I love him. Anyways, talking Danielle's, about... I love Danielle's husband. Her children are really funny. Yes. 
Um, the, the brown haired, the dark haired one, Rachel, Rachel, Rachel Fuda, right? <laughs> yes. And if, if you guys listen to the tea from um, Kim D of Posh Boutique fame, there's a whole story about the Fuda last name. And Ooh. I, I'm going to report this wrong. Allegedly, allegedly, Rachel Fuda, if you're listening to this. Also, apparently Rachel Fuda ran a housewife's um, Instagram. <gasps> so people were calling her out like, you're a super fan. You know, you can't come on the show. Oh. But I mean, at this point, we're all super fans. Like anyone who's going to be on the She'll show. She'll be bringing it. the blogs to the show. And she's bringing the blogs to, to the camera. The cameras to the blogs are the other way around. But apparently, allegedly, I'll keep this quick. Her <laughs> husband is comes from a really wealthy and well-known family in the Franklin Lakes, New Jersey area. Okay. And they own Fuda construction or fuda tiles something like that they provide construction materials but her husband his mother is the fuda so her husband's last name i'm just say for it wasn't but smith her husband was joey smith but but um rachel was like i want to be a fuda (laughs) so they just like she just took the name fuda okay which like i mean there's nothing wrong with that but it's like she she had uh, according to Kim D she had a real fixation on being being a Fuda woman being a woman of the Fuda dynasty and Kim D also alleged that they provided all of the tile and flooring for Melissa and Joe's new home for free in exchange for getting on the show I don't know if I believe that and of course like it's up to production who gets on the show but allegedly they did that favor for Joe and Melissa and Joe and Melissa put in at least a good word for them with production so crazy last thing on her we will say she's the first housewife born born in the 90s born in 1991 so no fuck, she's born in 1991 fuck my drag <laughs> so fuck my drag oh my god holly we're getting old we're, know, we like, could be housewives okay. almost i'm four years that's scary yeah, that's whatever. younger than my brother i know that's younger really than my scary. my man i mean jesus oh well younger Christ. than my man <laughs> Slay. Okay, so Louis' positive influence on Teresa has led her to reunite with a, an old fan fave, Jacqueline Larita. They posted that they had a five-hour lunch on Instagram and yes. couldn't be happier yeah. to see it. Um, hopefully, we'll get to see some of Jacqueline okay, on the show. Okay, not to be a psychic, but Jacqueline was in, she was in Housewives News the other week. She was answering some questions on Instagram and talking about how, I guess, now she's really turned on Melissa um, and she sees now, looking back, how Melissa really manipulated the narrative in the early seasons of Jersey and I kind of had this thought, like, oh, I wish her and Teresa would just reconcile. I loved their friendship. And they gave me such Zia energy. Like, yes. they gave me such, I know, like, oh, and if you were those kids, like, I love Auntie Jack. Yeah. I love Jacqueline. Chris and Jacqueline, Chris was the best. Jacqueline stood up to the Manzos, and we love her for it. And we love her for it. Her daughter, Ashley, Stan. More on her later. <laughs> More on her later. <laughs> yeah, how about that? <laughs> so we love to see the two ladies reconcile. I, I would I would like to see Jacqueline back. Would you like to see Jacqueline back? I feel like the last um, time she came back, it just didn't wasn't a good season. I don't think she got a yeah. fair shot because that season was rough. She's a little bit too rough around the edges for me personally, but I'd love to see her back as a friend. I'd love to see her back. She was a bit volatile. Yeah. Um, but she could be a good friend of, or at least like make an appearance, come to Teresa, come to a Teresa event, you know? Yeah. Last thing I want to say about the premiere, did you catch the moment where Jack who is now Jackie Goldschneider, who I am a longtime fan of. I was always a Jackie defender, controversially, mm-hmm. right? But she's now been demoted to friend of. But at that roller skating party, you could tell they were filming all of these women and they didn't know who's going to be housewife and who isn't her, all of them, including the new women. And the moment where Rachel was talking about um, Jennifer and then Jack, Jackie is like, um, can you look at me when you speak? This whole time you've like left me out of the conversation. You haven't even acknowledged me once. And it's like, 
Oh my girl, God, Jackie, Jackie, you're so annoying. I want to defend you, Jackie. I like Jackie, but it's like you do things like that. And it's like you are insufferable. Like I so could never I be friends with you. I actually have some fun tea about that moment. So I watched the premiere live and on TV, they played the supersized version, which was like an hour and 15 minutes. Loved it so much. I went back the next day to watch it on Hey You. Okay. And they had cut it to be Hey You length, like whatever, 50 minutes. They cut Jackie's line out. I'm watching it. I'm like, didn't she have a line here last last night? Oh, she's mad. They I cut saw her out of the extended edition. She did an interview later where she said it was a real hit to the ego to be demoted to friend of. It's like, oh, oh relax, Jackie. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. I'm trying to think. Was there anything else from the premiere that I wanted to mention? We'll be talking about it, I'm sure, for weeks to come as as the drama ramps up. Yeah, you're right. I mean, more on her later, more on all of them later. Oh, oh the love. The last thing I was going to say, mm-hmm. the other random third woman, not Danielle, not Rachel oh, Fuda. Oh, my new queen, other... Jennifer Kessler. <laughs> okay. I don't, I, Jennifer Kessler, if you're listening, I do not know much about you. But Holly, please tell me, does she not give, me and Trevor both said this, she gives such Rachel Ray HGTV energy. Absolutely. Like, it just, I know this. I know exactly who she is. She didn't even have to open her mouth. And I know everything there is to know about this woman. I liked her because she had jokes. I think a lot of the times they're scared to be funny and they're just so concerned yeah. with being fabulous. And she she was funny. She was very real. Mm-hmm. Like she's like a, she's a real mom lady in the neighborhood. A real housewife. She's not like a glam, say. she's not a glammed up real housewife. You no. know what I mean? She's like a, she's almost like a bit of a Kathy Wakili, I think. And we love, it's welcome <laughs> energy on that. Franchise. Okay, okay. So, we'll move on from yes. Jersey stuff. Next thing I want to talk about. Okay, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but I want to talk about it quickly. I saw it on the way over here. Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly have broken up. But Tristan, they've broken up so many times. I, I know. I but can't. I can't keep myself invested. I know. But here, one second. They always do this like performative Instagram breaking up and making up. And it's just I hope it's over now just for all of our sake. I know. But there was one thing that I wanted to mention. Oh, OK. Um so she posts, she deleted all of their photos together from her Instagram. And then she yeah. posted, this is just so, so let me explain you guys. And then we'll debrief. She posted a photo of what appears to be like letters burning in a fire. Okay. And this is not like a Pinterest photo. This is like a photo she has taken of like an outdoor fire pit with envelopes in it. And they're on fire. And the caption was taken from Beyonce's song, Pray You Catch Me. The <gasps> caption was, you can taste the dishonesty. It's all over your breath. Wow. So it's bad, you guys. It's really bad. Might have cheated. Uh, Well, no. But what I will say is, this is such fourteen-year-old energy. Like you are a grown woman. She is thirty. She is a thirty-six-year-old mother of two. Like posting this corny photo of you burned. The fact that she burned the letters like went out. Like it's just so corny. She's so fourteen years old. Deleting all of the photos of them together. It's like Megan Fox. You're Megan Fox. Like we. You can't just act like this is your random boyfriend from Ohio and we're all going to forget about him. You know, you can just delete the photos and we'll all forget. It's so ridiculous. And you're right. I'm sure they'll get back together or whatever. Like, I loved May. I love Megan Fox. And I love that she had, um, like, a real renaissance in the past couple of years. Yeah, I'm, sure. I'm so happy that she got her flowers and she got her chance to explain how how like badly she was treated 10 years ago which i agree with like the way she was sexualized and treated as an object megan i am with you and justice for megan fox but well but much like she, cam anderson she's not much of an actress i saw her new girl episodes the other day they were on tv and she can't really act her way out of her paper bag. okay true <laughs> but then she goes and does this embarrassing stuff like the they you know weren't they with like the blood yeah, and all the yeah. sex stuff it's like oh I don't megan care. don't be cringy <laughs> oh so anyways 
good luck to those two. Wait, Tristan, I think I heard you say Beyonce just briefly, and I'd like the listeners to know that I currently have five Beyonce tickets in my Ticketmaster account. Of course, they're not all for me, but they could be. They span two nights, so I just want to remind the listeners that I'm blessed by the by, by the not gods. the evil eye, but whatever the opposite yeah, oh of my, that you is. know what? I saw a TikTok the other day about like how Epstein's Island had an eye on it or a sun on it. And then Beyonce's performance in Dubai had a sun in it. And people in the comments were like, I'm so glad to see everyone waking up. I'm oh like, you guys, God. this is the biggest reach in history. Like, there's not, <laughs> it's not even the same sun. Anyways, congrats to Beyonce. Congrats to me. Congrats to Holly. So congrats to you, tickets. first and foremost. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, next on my list, I just wanted to mention quickly the Mischief Red Boots. What are your thoughts on the Mischief Red Boots? If you guys haven't seen them, these giant boots, they look like, I believe it's, what's his name? That one video game. Super Mario Brothers? No, it's not Super Mario Brothers. Is it like Astro some? Anyways, these big okay, red boots yeah, that like. they're like moon boots. I don't know. All they're the massive. influencers have been sent. They're everywhere. I can't escape these red boots. What do you think about the red boots? I, I saw someone they... had to cut them off themselves. They couldn't get their foot out. Oh, really? I think I've seen them styled well a couple times. I like them. I like that kind of like oversimplified, over the top look. It's funny. And I probably. They're camp. I don't think I'll get a pair. What I can't <laughs> wait for the for the Shein dupe. Oh my Maybe God. Maybe I'll pick those up. But we'll Imagine. have to wait and see. Okay, next on my list. This was a random one, you guys. I was just going through headlines on my way here on Twitter. But if you guys remember Teen Mom, clap if you watch Teen Mom. Macy, who could forget Macy? Gorgeous red-haired queen. Macy really sticks out in my mind. Like, I remember watching it as a teenager. I was probably, I believe it started, I was in grade nine. And I watched it religiously on MTV.com. And I just couldn't believe that these 16-year-old girls were having children. Like, it was... I remember at the time, people were really freaked out about the show, like, glamorizing teen pregnancy. But it, if anything, the show terrified me. I mean, I, I'm i a gay man, so I wasn't going to accidentally get anyone for pregnant. For sure. But... And the show, for me, really became the Macy and Farrah show. Those yes. were the breakout girls. Totally. They carried the torch. I mean, Amber had some moments, but yeah. Macy and Farrah... Macy was, like, normal. Like, Macy... We really rooted for Macy and she did well. Well, I just want you guys to know Ryan's in the news. He's been like arrested. I won't get into all that. But he's been yeah. he's going through it with like this woman he's either married to or dating. He's like threatening her. He was drug possession, all kinds of crazy stuff. But the real headline here is I was reading the article. Also, Ryan used to be kind of cute. I remember back in the day. He's looking pretty rough. But the real headline is their son, Bentley, who when I read the name Bentley, it like instantly took me back to 2009 like childhood couch. i remember thinking it was so cool that they named him bentley you guys bentley is 14 oh bentley is the age that we were watching the show like yeah, i was 14 he, watching he the show. could be teen father new generation isn't that so insane like something about that just rocked my world first we've got a 14 year old bentley then we've got jennifer fuda who's like <laughs> on housewives at like 31 like oh my god i'm getting old okay <laughs> bentley is coming for our jobs wait i'm gonna take the next headline because i'm obsessed with this story so if you've been following um the disgraced well not in our books news anchors from abc amy robach and tj holmes who were having the affair um they've been kicked out of their positions and they're suing because they don't think it's fair uh they say people have affairs at work a lot and the headline says that their friends think it won't last and i agree because there have been all these stories coming out about tj holmes that he was sleeping with everyone in the office so why is amy why is she any different tristan it's bad it's really bad it's really bad 
Baby, there's no plane. I mean, okay, I was obsessed with this story when it broke. I really loved that Amy had her cheating Uggs. Something oh, about the yeah. cheating Uggs really got to me. If you guys don't, don't know what I'm talking about, energy. if you look at all of the photos of them, where this was before they had announced that they were dating. So just to give you guys a quick refresher, if you're not familiar, Amy Roback and TJ Holmes, they're both Good Morning America hosts. Good Morning America, right? Not Morning Show? Yeah, Good Morning America hosts. Um, they were both married. Up until recently, I believe TJ may have separated in the spring. It's like there's the timelines are really murky of when they separated from their spouses and filed for divorce, but they were both working together and both, I mean, they were having an affair. Like there's, and and now looking back, there's all these paparazzi photos of them over the past kind of year or so, like getting out of cars together and holding hands. And he's like, got his kind of hand on her waist. And in every single photo, she's wearing the same pair of multicolored Uggs. So cute. I love them. <laughs> They're really cute. And she's always wearing like that aviator tracksuit too. So cute. You know that? I think it's aviator nation. Anyways, yes, you guys know that cute, the, the cute tracksuit. So yeah. expensive. Anyways, she's always got her cheating Uggs on and everyone on Twitter was like, not her and her cheating Uggs. <laughs> but if you guys are, I love Amy because she hosts um like the 48 hours sometimes, like the crime show. So that's okay. where I know her from. I, it's either 2020 or 48 hours, whichever one is on ABC she sometimes co-hosts so I kind of stand her and I, I, I love her journalism minutes? what is 48 no hours? it's not 60 minutes it's 48 hours mystery okay. it's like <laughs> they do like you know murder true well crime. I bet she'll be out of there soon too I don't yeah think so I work. guess what the article what the news is saying what the streets are saying this week <laughs> is that they haven't ABC hasn't officially announced their departure apparently they're in negotiations they've launched an investigation but they are saying that they are both they and they are already on a leave. They both had to step down from the show and go on leave. They're saying now that they are just out, out, out permanently. They were spotted yeah. in Turks and Caicos on vacation. So I guess they're just going to choose love. I mean, well, he's gives me sex and love addict vibes. He's a serial <laughs> cheater and yeah. she's just one stop on his. I know. His and I worry train. about her. Like, I mean, we've seen this happen with <laughs> other people in the news and then it's like, I don't know. I would just hate to be in that position. And then you lost your job and the man too. Like, oh that's my how God. how it happens. So that's know, why. That's how it happens. Yeah. And you know what? People, people love like a trinket. Like I can see how it's a like trinket? exciting. Like it's exciting and oh, fun. Like a or like a novelty. A novelty. Okay. Like they're, yeah. you know, you're having this, this affair and it's, you think you're really in love. And, but then reality hits. And it, this happens with lots of people in normal, yes. in just regular relationships. It's like, it's one thing to be like having a fun experience, but when real life starts or when there's a stressor, when you're both unemployed, it's like, what will that look like for the two of them? I don't know. We'll be watching from the sidelines and we have one more item. What do you want to say? Okay. About? One more item. Sorry, you guys, this has been a long preamble before we get into our topic of the week. But I just wanted to cover quickly the Grammys. And before I get into the Grammys, how embarrassing. Last week, I was like, Super Bowl this weekend, Super Bowl this weekend. The Super Bowl (laughs) is, in fact, this weekend. It's actually today as of when we're recording this. So looking forward to Rihanna's performance. But I don't want to get into that. I do want to talk about last weekend's Grammys, which we didn't even mention in the last episode. Goes to show you how, like, we watched the Grammys are. Yeah, well, we both watched, of course. I thought they were pretty floptastic. Boring, yawning, sloppy, you know lazy it they, yeah. they were too long yeah there was like no good performances there was a severe lack of celebrity i where was everyone really i had a, a beyonce showed up adele was there i know taylor but swift I, was there i was just missing some of my girls like i was missing i mean of course there's the rihanna Madonna Perry, was there. gaga where's lady gaga Nicki minaj i don't know a lot of the heavy hitters didn't seem to be in attendance but i'm, I'm getting old two so. of my red flag moments from the evening the first being the dr dre legacy impact <gasps> of a lifetime award oh, bad. i guess we're just giving um impact awards to there's room for everyone um i don't know did you see, i saw this, a tweet it was like the way everyone on that stage has been like 
convicted of like yeah. assault or sex crimes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he has been, um, I think, charged with abusing his wife at times in his life. But anyways, I guess that's the new cultural impact award at the Grammys. The other uh, moment I'd like to flag was when Harry Styles beat Beyonce for album of the year and he was accepting the award and he said, you know, this just really never happens to people like me. And I'm like, yeah, okay, Harry, that was bad. go off, go off. <laughs> I know, that was bad. So straight white man from a boy band, but yeah, I guess. Yeah, it, it was bad. Yeah. Did you guys see, I saw on Twitter this picture, it was like a picture of him from like 2021, and then now? He's looking rough. Yeah, it's, it's really hitting him hard. Yeah. So shout out to Beyonce. I thought Beyonce deserved album of the year as of well. And I, I hate, I mean, I, it's like she has lost it so many times. It's so frustrating. Yeah. You guys just give her album of the year. I wouldn't be surprised if we never saw Beyonce at the Grammys again. Ever again. I will say, and this is going to be a controversial hot take, I am I would like Beyonce to hire a new stylist. Okay. I'm not, yeah. I'm not loving the looks, you guys. The I'm not. Sarah and I, Pelly, yeah. And I know she's there. Like, I, she's gorgeous and has so many iconic looks. And I just feel like I haven't been seeing that recently. We're getting a lot of the same hair as well. Yeah, it's I think just, it's time they're looking to similar. switch up I need, the style. I would love sure. to see her take a risk and really jazz it up. I take what she gives me. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we never get to see her. I love her and I'm happy for her. Okay, the couple things I wanted to talk about quickly, J-Lo and Ben, obsessed. He looked miserable. Yeah. I saw TikToks reading his lips and reading their lips, him and Jennifer, and I guess people think Jennifer was saying, you drank and he's like i only had one drink because you know really? he has addiction issues that's yeah. what some of the lip readers oh, thought they were maybe arguing over he looks miserable and i think this is a classic case i know i know my girl jennifer garner is getting the last laugh at home but i just feel like this is a classic case of like he was kind of feeling stagnant in his relationship or feeling a little bit bored or a little bit trapped by his family was wooed by the glitz and glamour of his old flame jen and Lopez. her very high profile busy life i mean she does yeah. not take a day off she does not take a day off and i can see how from the outside you're like wow that looks like so much fun and remember how fun it was when we were like on every cover and everyone loved us so he felt he was intoxicated and he fell for the trap of 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 it, <laughs> of it. i, I don't yeah. think jennifer lopez is a trap but i think he didn't realize and then I think now that he's there again, he's remembering exactly why things didn't work out the first time because she lives such a high octane life and you have to be prepared for that. I mean, Jennifer Lopez loves publicity. She is go, 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 go. And she loves work and she loves celebrity and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's like Jennifer Lopez is go, 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 go. And she's everywhere all at once, everything everywhere all at once. And if you're not ready for that or prepared to deal with that ride you have to get off the ride yeah I'm i think that's what he wants i'm rooting for them honestly i think maybe i'd be a better match for him but i'm happy for her that, that yeah. she gets to be with him so shout out Congrats. to them we yeah. love benifer okay <laughs> oh last thing madonna you guys leave madonna alone oh sorry i think i sent you a rude meme about her no it's okay i okay. mean <laughs> we all laughed we all chuckled obviously she's had work done she looks how she looks. There's nothing we can do about it. I love Madonna, Madonna Stan, so I'm going to defend Madonna. But I mean, I don't really think it was a headline. Who cares? Whatever. Like, I don't know. I, whatever. The other thing I wanted to talk about, and this has just been making me laugh because I know it's been like taking off on TikTok and in conservative news. Kim <laughs> Patrick and Sam Smith, what did you think of their performance? So, uh I saw the song in a whole new light and I love the song now. Honestly, I used to think it was a bit annoying. Of course, we're talking about 
Daddy don't know mama's getting hot exactly. at the body shop. Yeah. We are kind of like Sam Smith and, and Kim Petras a little bit. Sure, sure. Um, I thought they killed the performance. It was sick. And I love that just putting on devil horns is enough to get like the conservative oh, like, media so right? riled so up. Right, so riled up. Like, listen. Have you been wearing think... devil horns for like years as a costume? I know. And if you're going to do Illuminati devil worship realness, I don't even think they did a particularly <laughs> good job of it. It was giving Party City in the hat. Like it yeah. was just a top hat with devil horns. I didn't see it with the real, whatever. And there's flames and they're wearing red. I didn't really think it was like this huge ritualistic um like worship of satan like i just yeah. didn't get it i didn't think it was that crazy or offensive maybe i'm perverse i don't know i don't it even whatever. think it people seems have like, the energy to get worked up about these things anymore like I they want to be mad and it so seems like very typical very typical middle of the road shock factor yeah. of like let's you know dress up like the devil and perform and, in like, some flames like, i did not think it was particularly shocking no, no no and i love the gender um inclusivity and love body the inclusivity. diversity that they bring to the main stage so I yeah was same happy for them. love that they won um i believe it was best pop vocal yeah. class collaboration so happy for kim being the first trans woman to win that award specifically and yeah i think it's great whatever you guys leave them alone who cares so we're gonna take a short break and we'll be right back so so there was a vanity fair uh two-part article that came out in may of 2022 that me and tristan were all over when it came out um it's fascinating it was by the reporter evgenia peretz and it was called scene stealers the true lies of elizabeth finch and it's all about a Grey's Anatomy writer who uh, got into a lot of crazy shit that we're going to talk about. Before uh, we start talking about her, I just want to set the story up with four main characters who we're going to be referring to throughout this. So, of course, Elizabeth Finch. She's the writer. We might call her Elizabeth Finch. And she also went by Finchie a lot. So um, she's Finchie. She has a brother named Eric, an older brother. And then later on in the story, we're going to talk about uh, Jennifer Beyer and her ex-husband, Brendan. But uh, we'll we'll get to them when it, the time comes. So Tristan, why don't you take it away and tell us uh, about Elizabeth Finch? Okay. Before I get into specifics, I just want to say, I remember specifically, Holly, you were the one that first sent these articles to me being like, you have to read these when they very first came out. And I was shocked that it doesn't seem like this took off in the way that I thought it would. Like, I, I don't think the general public is aware of this insane Hollywood story. No, but I'd say anyone I want to be friends with, they have heard about what's happening. And exactly. I bet it's in development at some either podcast network, TV network. The story will be told for all to hear. By us. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we can write the, the television. <laughs> you know movie. what I was thinking? You guys, since the podcast is more on her later, I'm going to call you guys mole listeners. M-O-H-L. Yes. So shout out our to moles. our mole listeners. I know our mole <laughs> listeners know Elizabeth Finch. And if they don't, they're about to. So let's get into it. So a little bit of background. Elizabeth Finch grew up in a middle-class Jewish family in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. So she also had exposure to cancer throughout her lives, as unfortunately... A lot of people, Wait, if not most people do. Wait, should we set up, though, that we're, it's, this is a cancer scam This is a story. cancer scam, you guys. It's giving Brooks. It's and giving very Brooks much Brooks. Brooks wish he had the imagination of Elizabeth, <laughs> Elizabeth Finch, Finch with this it's, story. This story is giving... What was Brooks' last name? Ayers. Brooks this Ayers. Is, thank you. This story is giving Brooks Ayers if he had a little bit more creativity and talent in terms of storytelling. This story, let me just say, trigger warning, this is a yeah. cancer scam. And it is deeply, deeply upsetting. I There's know we're kind of laughing as we introduce content, it. And I'll have to say, even rereading this article for this episode, like I find it to be quite terrifying. So I'm just 
going to be trying not to be shaking in my boots over here while we talk about these yes. dark details. It's terrifying. I also, in rereading these articles, it's like, it's deeply upsetting. It's yeah. truly upsetting that someone would go to these lengths. Um, so we're not laughing. Uh, this is a very serious thing. We're not laughing. We're just laughing. I mean, at I'm laughing absurdity. at the insanity and yes. the absurdity of this whole situation. <laughs> so this is a cancer scam. For context. So she, as I said, Elizabeth um, Finch grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And as a young person, her, so when she was in college, her mom was diagnosed with cancer. Her mom recovered from cancer. But this is the very first instance where she's given exposure to cancer treatment. Some of the specifics of what cancer treatment looks like, some of the timelines. So she does have background experience um, in proximity to someone who battled cancer. And that is important because that inf- informs her own performance as a cancer patient. Mm-hmm. She also had other like close people in her lives who battled cancer. Rick Cleveland, who is also a writer producer in Hollywood who gave her her kind of break in the industry. Yes, um, she went to USC film school and then she worked as an assistant to this guy, Rick Cleveland. Yeah, thank you, Holly. Sorry. So Rick's, in the time that she was Rick's assistant, his mother had cancer and then also one of his close friend's wives, the wife mm-hmm. of his close friend, pardon, had cancer as well. And allegedly, they, Rick says during this time, Elizabeth really stepped up as someone who had experience dealing with someone battling cancer, Elizabeth really took a lead role in helping out with these people um, and helping Rick out. And as a re- maybe not as a result, but around this time, Rick was instrumental in getting her first job as a junior writer on True Blood. So Nice. Do you remember True Blood? Did you ever watch that? I didn't watch True Blood. I do remember it, and I remember it was a really big deal. Yeah. Wasn't my type of show no i i didn't really get into so this was around kind of 2009 very in the yeah. same vein as like the twilight era i never really got into all the vampire stuff i remember <laughs> Not even twilight i remember vampires being a big moment i just never like got too deep into it but so her first real hollywood writing job was on true blood um she grew close or she so this will come up to um true blood star anna paquin mm-hmm comes up in the story so this is when she would have first met Anna Paquin and worked you know closely with Anna Paquin as a writer on the show she also in 2012 wrote on Vampire Diaries in 2012 around this time she has an alleged because who really knows she has an alleged knee replacement surgery this comes up later too but it is also around this time that she makes her first claim to have chondrosarcoma a rare inoperable form of bone cancer she alleged that she had a tumor on her spine um, this form of bone cancer is unheard of for someone in their 20s early 30s um, and she says that she was the only one in her clinical trial who survived so according to her she had wow. a severely terminal form a rare form of bone cancer had very little time left. And she was like this miracle who somehow had outsurvived the odds was still living and whatever. And I'm going to jump in. She wrote this in, so she started writing a lot of personal essays around this time um, on a site called fresh yarn, kind of like exo Jane. Do you remember that site? Yeah. So she was writing about her rare cancer, and apparently she was also very quiet in the writer's room of the Vampire Diaries and True Blood. She was pretty meek and often on the chopping block. This was around the same time she started writing these personal essays, and eventually this one about her very rare cancer ended up in L. 
Yeah, so she starts writing these essays. And I mean, even the essays, we'll get into some of the titles later, but they're, oh they are very <laughs> over-dramatized. Like, it's, we'll get into some specifics later, but it's like, they read like screenplays. Like, they read like someone writing a story about someone suffering from cancer, not someone suffering with cancer. You know what I mean? So anyways, around this time, she keeps her parents away. So her parents obviously learn that she is allegedly suffering from this rare form of cancer. Um, and she keeps them at arm's length, doesn't really visit, has no extended stays with them, doesn't give them an opportunity to really ask too many questions, see too many medications, anything like that. Her brother, who also comes up later in the story, is a doctor in Florida. And he, of course, upon learning that his sister is suffering from this extremely rare form of cancer, wants to speak to her doctors, wants to know what her treatment plan is, what medication she's taking, and she will not tell him and will not let him speak to any doctors. Obviously, he is a doctor, so he thinks this is odd, and I think she knows that he would be able to pretty quickly sniff out that something's not right here. Mm -hmm. Um, She gets a job as a writer on Grey's, and what I didn't know, I mean, I did know, but I was reminded that she actually was originally let go from Grey's. Yes. But then, upon reading one of her essays in Elle, Shonda Rhimes, or they don't say specifically who it was, they say a really someone higher up at Shondaland Productions was so moved by her essay of like battling this cancer and surviving this cancer that they rehired her and were like, we have to have this woman. She's such a survivor. Yeah, I think I read that they do this thing called like a blind reading test where all of the new writers submit scripts without their names on them and then they someone goes through them and like they just toss out the ones that aren't up to par and she got tossed out, but then they found her cancer article in L and people vouched for her to get the job. And of course we're talking about Grey's Anatomy which I didn't watch much of are you a fan I am not a Grey's Anatomy person okay. I don't think I've ever seen an episode I have friends who are like yeah religious like Grey's people addicts but um it's apparently like a show where they draw on like these people's personal medical um like really weird stories that are very unique and personal so that would draw someone in for yeah so they often take ideas from writers who have personal experience with various forms of illness so they're happy to kind of work real life experiences into the narrative of the show and elizabeth takes this to an extreme Mm -hmm. she uses her illness throughout her writing on the show um she creates an entire character yeah, let's get to that later. Yeah, let's but talk, so yeah. she really injects her experience as a cancer battler survivor into the show, and she also centers it in the writer's room. So a number of colleagues at the time talk about how she would hog the room. A couple of like things of note are that she would take really long to like finish a sentence or finish her point and they would all just have to give her her time because they all felt so bad that she was so sick she presented with like a bandage on her chest for where the chemotherapy port would go Mm -hmm. a shaved head like she came in looking sick so they would all you know treat her very delicately and give her her head with scarves and then they'd say they'd hear her puking in the bathroom every morning yes and give her the space to like get her words out she also made a point um, of wielding her illness and being like, I am the only person with a disability in the room. Like, you you must give me the space I need. Like, she really used it to establish her kind of credibility yes. and her dominance in the writer's room. Another random thing is that she would sometimes... she So she got her own, like, special chair um, to help with the pain. She also would sometimes lie on the floor and, like, speak from there. <laughs> and the other colleagues mention how, like, this is a very professional workplace. And if anyone else had done that or asked for a special chair or lay down on the floor 
they would be like fired. Like yeah. this was very out of the ordinary behavior. This is not like the kind of writer's room where they're all lying around. Like she was doing things that were extremely unconventional yeah. and using her illness as an excuse And they for that. thought, you know, that's just Finchie. They also said people at uh, her workplace at Gray's would drop her off at the Mayo Clinic and she would post selfies in front of it, but she never wanted anyone to go in with her because she said she wanted to battle this alone, not have anyone in her cancer memories when she recovered. Yeah, so she, I was just about to say that as well. She would take like week long, weeks long leaves from mm-hmm. work, which the other writers and staff members on Grey's Anatomy say was like not okay and they would all have to pick up the slack and she would go away for weeks and say that she was receiving treatment and she would go to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota which is like a world famous cancer treatment center and she would have friends drop her off and post selfies from in front of the Mayo Clinic and she would just go inside and walk around she was not (laughs) receiving treatment at the Mayo Clinic but a lot of these people did you know you wouldn't if you think your friend is sick and you're trying to support your colleague or your friend, you wouldn't ask those kinds of questions. And she, they say, would really prop it up as an offensive thing. Like she would get very, very offended if someone even asked her about her cancer. Another colleague mentions that in the writer's room, if someone else used her cancer as an example for a script, she would get super offended and say she was triggered and how dare they try to use her cancer for a storyline. But then she would do it incessantly. So she really kind of like weaponized this identity as a cancer patient um, within her professional life on the show. She also says around this time that she needed a kidney transplant and she specifically thanks Anna Paquin for securing her kidney. And she doesn't explain how Anna Paquin had a kidney for her, but... (laughs) We don't know if it was Anna's kidney that was donated. We don't know if Anna just like put her on to someone with a kidney. Like we don't know, but she makes a point of thanking actress Anna Paquin for securing her a kidney. Um, And she also at this time is really vocal on social media. Um, One tweet, she tweeted at Delta Airlines saying, quote, you cannot insist a cancer patient check meds, lose the bag and insist nothing can be done. So all of these things like she this is insane to 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 come up with all of this and be tweeting at corporations like they lost your cancer medication when you don't have cancer medication like yeah. it's so insane but it all just builds the credibility of the people around her and the coworkers following her on twitter are like wow that's horrible like she like how dare you delta like it's can i read another so one of her insane. tweets we have yeah. here she says talk to me when you've screamed yourself to sleep at night from the pain and all argue about the merits of legalizing marijuana every damn where <laughs> Period. Done. Um, she also, around this time, throws a big 40th birthday party. And here's a quote from her from her from the speech she gave that night. She says, everyone here in the room is someone I know and love. And over the last very bizarre seven years has been instrumental in helping me get to 40. So, of course, she allegedly has been battling cancer for seven years. A cancer that was, you know, severely fatal and terminal. Mm-hmm. So she's beat all odds here. Um, she says, including, they wish not to be identified personally, but there are two doctors from the Mayo Clinic who flew all the way from Minnesota here tonight. I promise that I would not show them but I wanted them to be summoned by people I love so fiercely who love me so fiercely so we have to assume that I mean we know there were no doctors from the Mayo Clinic treating her so who is she talking about at this birthday party like these people must have not been in the room but it's like if you're in this big party you wouldn't know who's the doctor and who isn't so yeah like what a risk to take like what gall to be like I'm just gonna say there's two doctors in the room and no one's gonna look into it or know who the two doctors yeah. could possibly be so she just gets away with the lie like Brooks Ayers she takes a lot of risks in, in using other people as part of her story um when you yes. can easily ask so them <laughs> she writes her experiences and specifically she writes so the character Debbie Allen in Grey's Anatomy 
um, is diagnosed with chondrosarcoma, the same very rare form of bone cancer. And here is a quote from an article around that time where they ask her about how she, you know, used her own experience in developing this character. And she says, quote, I wanted to say no, a big, fat, super emphatic, though ever polite no. But the loving insistence from her coworkers broke down her walls. Quote, I said yes, because Shonda once wrote me an email where she told me, love yourself more. And when Shonda <laughs> says something like that, you listen. Oh like, what? <laughs> that is so insane. A big fat so emphatic they, note. Like, they pretty much is... forced her to do they this. They pretty much forced yeah. her to lie about having cancer. Okay, so here are some of her, these are some of the titles of the article. So around this time, she starts submitting articles to Elle magazine, The Hollywood Reporter. Mm-hmm. Like, she really is such a beacon of strength and how she's overcome cancer and worked through it all. And she's this writer and she's so strong. And these are some of the article titles. And keep in mind, like, this is someone who does not have, who's made all of this yes. up. Quote, so these are the titles. I confronted the doctor who missed my cancer. So she has this running theme of like that. This She originally saw one doctor who refused to diagnose her. And so she's a real advocate for it. Women's health. Women's and health. She, these are real issues that she's kind of uh, making light of. Totally. That's the other part of this is that she's she's attached herself to real issues that are happening yeah. in the world. And especially around this time, we'll get into a few more. But she's attached herself, it seems, to like every possible the buzzword issue of the moment and been like, I too have experienced this and here's my expertise and blah, blah, blah. So the next title I have here, deciding to have an abortion dot, dot, dot while getting chemo. Oh my God. (laughs) So another big theme, and we'll talk about this a little more is that according to her around this time, of course this did not happen, but she alleges that doctors had told her that she was sterile as a result of all of her cancer treatments. And she miraculously conceived and is pregnant. The doctors then tell her that her only option is to either abort the pregnancy or she will die. So she maintains that she had to have this abortion to save her own life because of the toll of the cancer drugs, this miracle baby, like the whole thing is, and to just make this up, like you're already doing the cancer, like why add all these insane details? I mean, if you don't know this story and you're hearing it for the first time, the traumas are about to start to ramp up and it's about a lot more than cancer. A kidney. I can't, like she's got the knee replacement. She's missing a kidney. She got the yeah. cancer. The well, abortion. Yeah. So the next. There's a whole part two of this story. So just keep, <laughs> yeah, okay, keep can, Yeah. Keep with yeah. me. Sorry, sorry. I'm getting all upset. <laughs> the next title is just Redefining Brave. Wow. Yeah, you're she's real. So brave. She's brave, that's for sure. I mean, <laughs> she's braver than me with all these lies about cancer. Yeah, the next one, this one, this article was specifically about her fertility journey. Quote, all my eggs in one basket. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, basket case. Okay, sorry. <laughs> another tweet I have here from her. Oh, yeah, that was the marijuana one. And then another one I have is, I've officially run out of ways to politely say this. Stop tweeting me miracle cancer cures. It's exhausting and insulting and presumptuous af so one thing you don't want to do is presume anything about her okay because (laughs) (laughs) or tweet her any miracle cancer cures so um also around this time she i mean this is super upsetting too but um there's a national tragedy october 2018 when 11 people were shot and killed at the tree of life synagogue in pittsburgh the city where elizabeth went to college she maintains that she did attend this synagogue once or twice in her college years But around this time, she claims that a friend of hers that she'd met in college had been one of the victims, and she mustered up the fury to clean up her remains off the floor of the synagogue. She took off work, allegedly, to do this, and this is something that she repeats to numerous people. I have a quote here. She mustered mustered up her fury 
And this was something she posted at the time. Please do not send me photos of the man who murdered my friend. Um, and her colleagues say that they had to be very careful. And if someone even mentioned guns in the writer's room or complained that there was too much noise, they would, or com- if they complained that they had been shot down, Elizabeth would say that she would, she was triggered. She would dramatically wince and really take it out on her colleagues for triggering her about the loss of her friend in this tragic shooting. She of course did not have a friend in the shooting. She had only been to the synagogue a couple of times in her entire life. So she made the whole thing up, took off work to go and allegedly clean up her friend's remains off the floor. So I'm going to jump in here. So Elizabeth is Jewish. And um, earlier when she started posting about all these other uh, traumas, after Trump was elected, she claimed that someone had left an anti-Semitic message on her door she posted photos of it on social media um and i think it looks like that she probably wrote that message herself you guys i found the post on facebook her facebook is still up so you can see the photo of the message and i don't want to get into the message because it is horrible and anti-semitic but the the what she wrote in the post was yes i am the only jewish person in my building yes i am the only one who received this on my doorstep and it's like a uh, this note, this horrible note. So she alleges that she is the only person in the building who received this. We, what people allege now is that she wrote this note and just took yeah. a photo of it. And for and no so reason, unprovoked, the, even well, with the synagogue, like it's unprovoked to just make this up. The Tree of Life synagogue massacre is, you know, one of probably like the worst things that's happened to the Jewish people in a very long time. And I think her being a Jew, this is one of, you know, she's a constant victim. So this is a way she could insert herself into that narrative, especially since she had been to that synagogue before. And I just want to add, it is a Jewish custom about cleaning up uh, the bodies yes, soon sorry. after. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That so is true. that she was kind of, again, using her, yeah. Using her, her experience yeah. as a Jewish woman to, to yeah. like glom Insert onto a tragedy. The story, which do you really think that they would let random people go clean up the bodies after a Of like an active yeah. crime scene. No. In March 2019, shortly after the horrible mosque shootings in New Zealand, she tweeted... I spent sunup to sundown cleaning up what was left of my friend after the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting. As someone who stood amidst the Pittsburgh synagogue carnage, I'll just say, my heart is broken. My brain is broken. I have no words for my outrage. Like, Hmm. even the way she writes these things, I just feel like it's so dramatized. It's so Grey's Anatomy and over the top. I mean, people grieve and people respond to trauma in so many different ways. But this is just reading as, like, seventh heaven to me. Like, it's reading as CW show. Like, people don't tweet those things. It's the Lord album melodrama. (laughs) It is so melodramatic. It's so over the top. So here's where I'm going to pass it over to Holly. Oh, and I am so excited. In 2019, so around this time, March 2019, she enters an Arizona treatment center. I believe she tells her colleagues it's part of her cancer treatment, but it is a mental health specific treatment center. Yes. Okay. I'm going to back it up a little bit. So right after the um, the shooting and she claimed that her friend had been lost in it, um, the cancer plot was coming to an end on Grey's Anatomy with the character. So she's like, I have an idea for a new character um, and it's going to be based on a friend of mine. So she didn't say it was me. She said a friend of mine who was a rape victim. Um, there's this new character called Joe. And um, one other thing I'll add is that she would always claim around like major deadlines for her writing that she was under too much stress or something or use the cancer to like get out of uh, 
you know, meeting her deadlines at work. So she's developing this new character on the Grey's Anatomy show, and she says that the character needs to be checked in for PTSD as a rape uh, survivor. And she says that she's also dealing with PTSD from the shooting and losing her friend. So that's why she's going to go check herself into the mental health facility in Arizona, and that, that can help her write and understand the character. So the new character's name is Joe, and this is where we come to the end of part one of the Vanity Fair uh article and i'll always remember like this last line of it this is what gets you to part two i remember this is when i sent it to tristan i was like he's got to read this because when she gets to the facility she checks her in herself in under the name joe oh chills chills you guys okay so she's at this facility then you click to part two and she has this new identity of joe and the story is gonna change a lot from here it's gonna get a lot darker i'm very sorry um and we're gonna try not to make light of it but it's gonna go in a different direction now so introducing a new character into this uh whole thing uh jennifer Byer. she is a nurse from kansas and she checks into the facility around the same time She is afraid she won't see her five kids again uh, because she has an extremely abusive ex-partner, Brendan. He's another character that we'll need. So right now we've got uh, Finchie and her brother, Eric. And then this is Jennifer Byer, a nurse from Kansas, and her abusive partner, Brendan. They have five kids. So she checks into the facility around the same time. And she's taken out a protection order and filed for divorce. But she's still quite scared of her partner, Brendan. Um, She became disassociative. And again, I'm talking about the nurse from Kansas. Her kids were sent to child protective services, and eventually they ended up in foster care. And um, eventually she becomes part of the same PTSD process group as Finchie at the center. So they become fast friends and confidants, and they bond over their PTSD. They become roommates at the facility, which is very uncommon, but people agree that they're helping each other a lot get through things, and so they let them become roommates. She tells uh, her new friend, Jennifer, that her older brother, Eric, abused her as a child. And this is the first time that um, people have, you know, said that this has been an accusation of hers. Finchie's parents, uh, who she kind of kept at bay before, they come to visit her while she's at the treatment center. And uh, then she has to tell everyone her name isn't really Joe. And people kind of understand and they go with it. They jump interested. Yeah, she just so she she uses the explanation of like I'm a famous Hollywood writer, so I had to use a pseudonym because I'm in this treatment center. I didn't want everyone to know that I am the famous Elizabeth Finch. So she goes by Joe. She's just so glamorous. Anyways, her parents here in the uh, process groups that she's telling people that she was abused by her brother Eric growing up. Yep. And we're talking horrific abuse. Like she's alleging really dark things about her brother, not just like typical sibling stuff like he terrorized her sexually mentally emotionally physically okay so they're supportive but they're shocked and they mentioned to the group that you know um finchie had cancer and the group is shocked because she's never mentioned having cancer not even that she was in remission they you know she still is fighting the cancer so her parents reveal this and anyways it adds kind of to her lore in the group there at the treatment center So she's becoming very close with Jennifer and she's becoming obsessed with Jennifer and her abusive situation with her partner, Brendan. So she one day tells Jennifer she's found a letter in this old photo album saying 
you know, that she said she's never seen from her brother saying that the brother is going to get her, like, kill her. A really dark letter. Like, even this is, just, like, this is from a movie. Like, yeah. no one opens a photo album and, like, finds this <laughs> threatening letter from their brother. Like, I don't know if it's written in the past and she just discovered it now. It's, like, it's so, it's giving, like, mystery movie. Like, this does yeah. not happen. It's not that her brother texted her being like, I'm going to kill you. It was like she found this, this missing in, like, puzzle old, piece. Yeah, photo She album. blew the dust off the letter and what she saw horrified her. Oh, my God. <laughs> she definitely has main character syndrome. So, um she finds the letter jennifer's really supportive like she's fully buying into all of this and by the way jennifer's quite taken with finchie because she's this very okay you got paid a lot i guess to write on all these hollywood tv shows she's this like glamorous tv writer from california jennifer's in this like terrible situation this nurse from kansas and so she's getting really caught up in the elizabeth finch world yes and elizabeth really starts to wine and dine her like she takes her they stay at like i'm gonna get to that five star hotels Mm -hmm. and then so the one i was gonna say i hope i'm not taking this away from you but she does bring her to stay in la with her Mm -hmm. and according to finchie they're staying at anna paquin's house which finchie alleges she owns half of like her and anna went in on this house together which is objectively not true. Like, no. why would you just lie about that when we can, like, anyone can look that up and see that she doesn't own the house. And then she also claims that she has 24-hour armed security. Oh, good. And because this, crazy. She, she's preying on Jennifer's fear of her own life. And so, anyways, I am going to get to all that because this part gets pretty interesting. So they're both ready to leave the facility and she buys Jennifer a service dog because she has um, PTSD and everyone's like, she's such a hero. That's great. Back in Hollywood, she tells um, her friends in her circle about her older brother Eric's abuse and the letter she found, and all of her new details about her brother's abuse will later match up with exactly what her new friend Jennifer said that her ex Brendan was doing. So it's like, we're, so the horrific abuse of her childhood is actually what Jennifer was going through with her ex. Yeah, and they so Finchie had obviously sat through. Th- group therapy sessions with Jennifer. So she's very, very familiar. And they're close friends. I mean, so I won't spoil anything. But so she's very, very familiar with the specifics of the abuse that Jennifer suffered at the hands of her husband, Brendan. So Elizabeth starts to take these details and just like assume them as her own. Yeah, telling her friends this is what her brother did to her. So back in Kansas, Jennifer misses Joe. She still calls her Joe a lot. And she's trying to get her life back on track, trying to get her kids back. And Brendan, this guy is still abusing her quite terribly. So Finch invites Jennifer to come stay with her in Ojai, which, like, I'd love to go to Ojai. Like, that's a pretty nice invitation at Anna Paquin's house, which it wasn't. And this is the weekend that they, like, fall in love. So twist, you know, these two are going to be together. They're lesbian and they're together. Finch begins, like, love bombing her, like, being like, I'm going to save your life. I've got the 24-hour security. We'll get the kids. You'll never have to worry about anything. And I can see as Jennifer, like, you you would probably think this is like an angel has entered your life. Uh, Finch always says she or it's come out that she was always bringing up honesty she says uh, Jennifer needs to be honest with her always they can't have any secrets from each other so Uh, she's (laughs) I know any secrets she starts going to Kansas more to support Jen at her custody hearings and she stands up to Brendan which makes Jen love her even more Jen comes to see her at the set of Grey's and while she's there visiting her she gets a call that Brendan has killed himself the father of her children. So they go to Kansas and um, Finch makes a big scene of saying, I need to take a leave. I need to go be with my partner and the family at this time. Two weeks later, oh, guys, here, we're about crazy. to get a little bit um, bone chilling. So just hold on to your hats. Two weeks after he's killed himself and they've gone to Kansas, she's been there with, the, with her new family. Finch writes an email to the Grey's Anatomy staff. She says, her own brother Eric has died of suicide 
in a very, very dramatic email, very similar to the Brendan suicide that actually did take place. And she signs it. Miss y'all, Finchie. <laughs> you guys, I have the email. Just okay, quickly. Get in there. Quote, hey, all. I've been absent and coming back tomorrow. I've been absent and I'm coming back tomorrow. I just don't know who's looped into what. And I'd rather put it out there so no one is in the dark or feeling eggshelly. I've been gone because my brother died by suicide. He was on life support for a short while, but ultimately did not survive. I say this not because I need or want anything from anyone. I'm not a delicate flower or whatever. I just want people to know I'm still here, still part of the team. I intended to just power through my episode shoot, but I recognized I needed to just take a bit of time away to process. Missed y'all Finchie. And what she claims here is that she alleges that her brother is so dark and so twisted that he intentionally was unsuccessful in his suicide attempt forcing her to be the one to pull the plug on his life support. She says because Eric was a doctor, he knew how to shoot himself without killing himself so that she would have to be the one to pull the plug on him in his final act of vindictiveness against her. And the Grey's Anatomy staff have said that they all cried with her that day. So how demented is that? We're getting into (laughs) demented territory. Okay. Not like we've already been there. She's getting paid very well as a Grey's writer. Of course, she's quite successful. And she's living two lives, you know, her life with Jen in Kansas and their five uh, kids and her life in Hollywood. She goes to Hawaii with Jen and she tells that the Grey's anatomy staff that she's going to reunite Eric's illegitimate Filipino baby with his mother, but she's really just on a trip to Hawaii. Like, this is, it's like Y&R. Like, it's, <laughs> yes. it's such a soap opera. Like, of course he has an illegitimate Filipino child. And it's just so funny because, like, she is the one who's, like, writing the Grey's Anatomy of it all that, like, yes. get, it's like the chicken or the egg. So she's telling, okay, at the same time, she's telling her partner, Jen, that Eric is still terrorizing her. You know, her Hollywood From life thinks grave. that he's, oh, no, yeah. no, she thinks that, or Jen thinks that Eric's still alive. And she says he's gone to the Philippines. We're safe now. So she's helping. Um, she goes into Kansas. She's helping Jen clean the house, which Brendan had like trashed before he died. And she said, I'm missing the Emmys to attend, like to be here and help you clean. Um, even though the Emmys were months ago, they fact checked her on that later, not at the time. And her- <laughs> The way she just threw that in there to make Jennifer feel bad. Yeah. She's like, I just want you to know I <laughs> can be at the, the Emmys, Emmys right now. This. And she wasn't missing the Emmys. Like, why would you just say that? The friends in Kansas, uh, they love Finchie. Obviously, it's like this glamorous woman's come into their life. And one of them posted on social media, Finchie is a superhero masquerading as a regular person. So they get engaged. Um, and she says, like, I want to you know legally adopt your five kids if something happens to you like i'll be their mom and they call her finch joe mama <laughs> so the cracks are starting to show wow who would that have alone that gives me the chills finch, finch joe, joe mama, mama. <laughs> <laughs> okay so like of course she can't keep spinning all these plates like we can barely even process all the plates i'm getting spinning. confused yeah. and i have like read these articles numerous times so here's where the cracks begin to show Finchie is in town in Kansas visiting, and by the way, I'm saying Kansas, it's Topeka, Kansas. So she's in town to see one of the kids perform in the Nutcracker. While they're at the show, she's starting to get like massive kidney pains, kidney stones, and she doesn't want to go to the hospital. Jen is like, we we have to go to the hospital. She takes her, and then when she's there, she's not saying anything about her medical history, even though, you know, Jen's like, but she only has one kidney and she's got cancer. And then the doctor does a uh, CAT scan of her, and he says, your kidneys are fine. And then Jen goes, but you only have one kidney, right? And then she goes, oh, classic male doctor. He, he missed it. He saw it. He thought it Yes. Yeah. Like she leverages that whole thing about like doctors not believing yeah. women. She's like, ah, typical of a male doctor to not look close enough to, to not even I look close have... enough to see I only have one kidney. Like what the fuck? And then it's like, did she go to this Nutcracker performance and was like, you know what? I need to make this about me. Yeah. So then it's like 
Did she Maybe. even have pain at all? Or was she like, I'm having kidney pains from my one working kidney. And then she didn't think that Jennifer would be like, we need to go to the hospital. She probably thought she'd just be able to get out of the Nutcracker performance. Maybe, Maybe she, she just didn't like the she, Nutcracker. Maybe she forgot that Miss Jennifer is a nurse and that's going to come in uh, handy pretty soon. So uh, Jennifer pushes through. She's like, this woman's an angel. They get married right before COVID and they become like obsessed with making sure Finchie, who's so health compromised, uh, doesn't get COVID. Yes, she was cuckoo for COVID. And I will say, you guys, I was going through all her old Facebook posts and she is... <laughs> She's a COVID warrior. And I know a lot of us were, it was a scary time and yeah. a lot of people, you know, but she was a hardcore COVID warrior. And she even has this long Facebook post about like not celebrating the holidays because of COVID. And it just like, she's so main character syndrome. Media. She loves, she, so, loves she can't it. help herself. Yeah. She Sorry, just can't continue. help herself. So Jen starts researching Finch's social media, which like, come on, maybe she should have done this earlier. She sees that on the day of the Tree of Life massacre that Finchie was posting pictures of her and her friends like out partying that whole week, like during and after the shooting. So this puts the fear of God in Jennifer. She starts panicking. She sees pictures of her bald when she had chemotherapy with her scarf on, but her eyebrows and eyelashes are still full. And as a nurse, she knows that just doesn't happen. She also knows her naked body intimately, of course, as her partner. And she sees photos of her with like a chemo port scar bandage. And she's like, you don't have that. It, and then she also notices the bandage is really dirty and she's like, no, you know, they never would have put that dirty bandage on you. So Jennifer is like freaking out. She's starting to begin to plan her confrontation and she's going to start by asking what medications she's on. So she does because she's like, I need to start this slow. This girl, you know, like she's very sensitive. So let's just ease into this. Finchie says she's on a medication, which is very hard on the kidneys. As a nurse, Jennifer clocks that and she's like, you, they wouldn't put you on that medication. Finchie admits that she had cancer, but she says... I recovered and I couldn't give up the attention. Jennifer's not satisfied with this admission. Okay, so Jennifer is also, there's a th another, there's a fifth character in this, and this is Carly the therapist, and she's gonna come back into this. So Jennifer starts to be like, I feel like you were targeting me, you were mirroring me, and you faked the letter from Eric. Okay, smart. Uh, Finchie doesn't admit to anything, but she doesn't deny it either. There's no emotion, no tears, and Finch maintains, she said, my brother did terrorize me. Jennifer says, if you want to stay together, we have to start telling people you need to start admitting to what's happened and you need to start by telling our friends in Kansas. Okay, here we go. So, okay, she goes, I'll tell the friends in Kansas. And... And you guys, keep in mind, like, Jennifer is already dealing with her own horrific trauma yes. of the abuse she suffered at her husband and the fact that her husband took his life and she's raising these five children. Like, Jennifer is already down bad and now she has to play p private investigator for her wife, <laughs> Finchie. Like, and she, it's hor It is so... It's horrible. Particularly horrible because she totally thought Finchie was, was such a savior and angel and swooped in and took her to Ojai only to learn that this woman is like a scamstress yes and it's important to remember she they don't have the kids fully back yet like she needs to get full she's in a whole custody mess kids. too and so, now she's got to deal with this the, yeah the details matter so when she women's when, stories matter they just do <laughs> when she starts telling the kansas friends i guess finchie thought like you know i'll start with telling them they actually are so taken by her that they stand by her and they start to say jennifer you're crazy don't come on don't come for finchie Yes, and Finchie even tries to turn the kids against Jennifer. Well, yes, that's what I'm saying next. So she tells them, okay, so this whole time they've been sharing the therapist that they've met at this treatment center, Carly the therapist. And Finchie is trying to, she's pretty much conspiring with the therapist to make Jennifer think that she's crazy. She tells them that, or she tells that the friends from Kansas that Jennifer is conflating her own fear and issues with Brendan with what's happening with her and that she's made this, she's the stand-in for Brendan now. 
And she, what's important is that Jen needs Carly, the therapist, to get her kids back. And now the therapist is starting to turn her uh, back on her as well. In another bone-chilling development, a therapist is written into the Grey's Anatomy plotline, and you better believe her name is Carly. <laughs> so she, okay, so then Jennifer's like, you know what, I'm pulling out this Grey's Anatomy episode that's literally like my life story. I don't know if she had ever watched it before, maybe she hadn't, but that honestly was so um, rattling to her sanity that she she tried to take her own life, but luckily she decided not to go through with it. Instead, she drives to the mental health facility and she checks herself back in. She tells Finchie, you know, you won, like, you know, you can have whatever you want, just get out of my life. So Finchie goes to the kids and she tries to get them on her side, which she knows she knows is the only way to keep uh, power over her still. They go to couples therapy, they work on it, and she says that, or Jen says that Finchie still needs to confess to everyone in her life. Eventually, she files for divorce and leaves, and don't worry, we're getting towards the end here. In February 2022, Jen, the partner from Kansas, gets a forwarded email from somebody at Grey's Anatomy, um, and in the e- it's the email that Finchie had sent about the brother's suicide. Oh my god. Imagine getting that email. It's the story of Brendan's suicide, but it's from Finch to the staff saying um, that it was her brother. Oh, like this is like this is a, a horror movie. Like this is yeah. like um oh my god, what's that movie with the bunny boiler? A fatal, attraction. fatal attraction. Like this is it's giving like yeah. fatal like that moment where like your eyes open up like I I would pass out. Of, yeah. I would be so scared. For sure, I'm scared just thinking about it. So then uh, Jen from Kansas, she writes to Shonda Rhimes. She says Finchie's been lying about everything. Then she gets a call from Disney HR. She says the co-workers have been going back through everything that's happened with her with a fine-tooth comb. And, um, okay, so, you know, the network starts an investigation, but Finchie quits, so they stop it. And that's kind of where it ends. Finchie has a lawyer now who is actually Prince Andrew and Army Hammer's lawyer. Iconic. And one last thing I'll add, like, now when her staff was, or her co-workers were putting together this whole manipulation like she named an episode of Grey's Anatomy anyone have a map and that's a song from Dear Evan Hansen which is about like a kid who lies about um all of his like illnesses and then she was also posting memes of like the greatest showman P.T. Barnum who was like you know the greatest iconic liar yeah so she was like really playing the long game and then the whole exposés came out in Vanity Fair, and Tristan's gonna take back over. I just want you guys to know that I didn't even clock this, but on her Facebook, one of her profile photos is her in a Dear Evan Hansen the musical <gasps> sweater. Like she, oh, the clues were right in front God. of our eyes. This, this is what's even crazier is that like, if you were to do this horrible scam, she, you'd think she would not post about it on Facebook, or you'd think she wouldn't leave these breadcrumbs everywhere, but she does. Like her Facebook is yeah. full of them. Like she, she incriminates herself with her own Facebook photos. And she does have a new photo from February 4th and it's black and white. And it's her just looking up. Like she has an upward gaze. God, I think she's looking upward and upward. I don't want to look at it's these like photos creepy. of her. She's Here's one so of her with, with one of Jennifer's daughters. And it's my daughter is taller and wiser than me. And I freaking love it. And her and the seven finches she painted on her home. Like oh this woman God. is so demented. It's so, so crazy. Tristan has read. She's done an interview okay. recently. Her side of the story. Yeah. So Ankler um, online magazine released an article December 7th, 2022. <laughs> Just the headline photo. Like it's these sepia tone photos of Elizabeth Finch. And this is her telling her own story. You guys, it's a long article. I am going to keep this quick. The only thing she really has to say is that she made it all up. And she doesn't, in the article, she doesn't even like, 
she doesn't even seem to express like extreme guilt. She says she feels horribly about it and you know, it's fun. But it's like, even reading it, I'm just like not even convinced. Like I, I cannot believe that someone would go to those lengths. She's so pathological. She's so, and you can't believe anything. I know it makes, and unfortunately, whatever is true about her, you really can't believe. Something that we didn't cover in the Vanity Fair articles is she also claimed, of course, she, I mean, I take that back, I whatever, but mm-hmm. uh, during the Me Too era, she comes out with her own harrowing story yes. of surviving sexual assault at the hands of a very powerful Hollywood director who she doesn't name and has like never mentions it again. And it's like she maintains that that did happen and maybe it did. And that's horrible if it did. But I do think it's like it's another example of any time there's like a, a big issue. She finds a way to inject herself into it and make it about herself. And she's pathological. So you can't believe anything, even if that did happen. I can't believe you because you've lied about so much horrible stuff okay so just the highlights from the article because it's really long and it it doesn't like build a strong case for her in my opinion (laughs) she says that she had a friend named nick who she spoke about with jennifer and then jennifer was like was that person even real but he was real she had this friend in minnesota he really treated her like family him and his wife really took her in and he would drive her back and forth to these mayo clinic appointments He actually caught on to Finchie long before any of this and realized that something wasn't right with these appointments. She wouldn't let him come into the building with her and he called her out early. And the only thing is him and his wife like didn't tell anyone else. They were just like, this woman's crazy. She doesn't have cancer. And they just moved on with their lives. Mm -hmm. But she does say that that is something that happened. And her alleged explanation, alleged, this is what she says, sorry. Her explanation for all of this is that After she had the knee replacement surgery in 2012, she was so addicted to the sympathy and care that she received that she just like had to find ways to keep it going. Like she says that her friends and family were so amazing and so supportive about her knee replacement surgery that she just like wanted the love and care to continue. And she attaches this to her trauma. She maintains that her brother did abuse her and she tries to attach all of this to like a much larger experience of trauma response and Mm -hmm. of needing care from people so she actually has a very good reason for coming up with the cancer scam and it's that she had to like fulfill her own inner child and she just had no other way to do it than to come up with like this crazy scam she will just hang on to like whatever tiny detail was true for no reason exactly (laughs) whatever thing was true and then this article also speaks to a number of her colleagues at Grey's, and these are some of the details i wanted to mention earlier but i realized i had them later in my notes but Again, she says that, like, she would, if anyone tried to write something into a script that, like, was similar to her alleged experience with these illnesses, she would freak out on them, tell HR, demand apologies, like, really get them in trouble for even suggesting that they touch any of her illnesses. Uh, And she was just like, they say that she was a real bully in the writer's room and horrible towards new people and really leveraged her identity as a sick person to put other people down and their ideas down. And that she would like, you know, she was pretty tight with Shonda. So it's like she would go to upper management and like Mm -hmm. really get people in trouble for things. Like if she didn't like someone, they mentioned specifically if she didn't like someone, and oftentimes it was men, she would really go after them until they either like quit or got fired. And she would build the case of like, Another male voice in the writer's room in male-dominated Hollywood, which is a legitimate problem. I mean, that's what's so upsetting is that a lot of these things are real issues, like the way that uh, doctors diagnose women or misdiagnose. Like, these are real, real issues, but she like delegitimizes them and takes any credibility out of it by using them to her own advantage. It sounds like she would just have a problem with someone and then she would find some weird social justice angle and like advocate for them to be fired. Tristan, I think like what draws 
us and like so many people to this story and what we love about it is like haven't we all just had that one coworker where you're just like this is them like <laughs> <laughs> holly i don't want to talk specifically yeah. about my work or anything and i'm not thinking of anyone specifically yeah. okay I'm, 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 no so, like over the years like since over your the years first job, I, you're there's right. always that person in the workplace who's just has these stories you can't freaking believe there's always <laughs> someone in our lives whether it's a coworker or a friend or a family member, like I can think back to being a kid. It's like, I mean, we mentioned this when we were talking about um, Ilaria Baldwin and everyone's going to get mad at me for saying Ilaria, but I can't stop. <laughs> it's like, there's, there's people and they're pathological liars. And for no reason, like I get it. Or if you have some insecurity or there's a part of your life that you don't want people to know about. So you come up with a white lie, but it's like people who just make things up and seem to just have the craziest of lives. Like everything under the sun has happened to them. No one has suffered more than them. Like there's always someone like that. Yeah. And shout out to my friend Taya, who's currently dealing with someone like this in her workplace. And, uh, Hopefully I've not revealed too much. I mean, all I say is it's my friend Taya and uh, good luck with that. Taya, Taya we're we'll be reading you. your expose pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. And oftentimes, I mean, I think there are people who will kind of glom on or take ownership over real legitimate social issues or movements or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And they will use it to their advantage and center themselves in the issue and really like use it as a weapon, like almost weaponized things as an expert or as some sort of voice for something in the way that Elizabeth has done. Like, I think we've seen other examples of this too. And I also, and the Ankler article points out, like, it is interesting in that these people often get to continue to work, especially in Hollywood. Like Hollywood is in a lot of ways built on fraudsters and liars and actors with false identities. And like, there's so many stories of this happening. Even Dakota Johnson with her architectural digest where she had the limes. And then later she does an interview and she's like, I'm not allergic to limes. I don't even eat limes. They put those there. But in the, in the video, she's like, and I love having this bowl of limes. Like the way people will just lie or another one I can think of in Hollywood and get away with it and just continue working. Billy Porter. This is a really random one, Mm -hmm. but he did a red carpet interview when he was cast in Cinderella in the interview. Someone asked, Oh, you know, did you ever see the Cinderella remake starring Whitney Houston? Like, what did you think of that? Has that, because he was playing the fairy godmother, Whitney Houston played the fairy godmother. He was like, has Whitney's performance inspired you at all? And he says, you know, growing up with the Whitney version is something that has really stayed in my mind. I grew up watching her as the fairy godmother. I just want you guys to know that Whitney's version of Cinderella came out when Billy Porter was 28 years old. So, <laughs> he really grew up. So, like, it's like, but for it. you to just lie on the spot, like, to, like you didn't have to yeah. say that. You could have just said it inspired you. Like, but you know what? I, I don't. Uh, but those aren't cancer scams. Nothing so. wrong with Billy Porter, Dakota Johnson there, because, you know, a, a white lie on the spot in an interview I know. compared well, to building I'm this just trying reality. to say, yeah. like, I think oftentimes in Hollywood, like, there is a degree of deceit that happens. Yes. This is obviously a really extreme case, but yeah. it. It, it, the question at the end of the article is like, what is the future for Elizabeth Finch? And it doesn't seem like this got the pickup that I thought it would. Like yeah. most people don't know who this person is. And it's like, yeah, I can see a world where she wriggles her way back in there as these people often do mm-hmm. and like gets away with it. A couple of quotes I have from the article here is this one just like took me out. This is her quote, quote, I don't understand why my story is on such a public facing stage. <laughs> um, because you faked cancer, like because on, you like the longest running, most popular medical show, show like, and then and you wrote it into the show. Like, I think maybe that's why it's so public. And then here is just like from the end of the article. I'm going to read this whole little blurb here. A chunk of our so this is the journalist speaking. 
A chunk of our final conversation was spent discussing an upcoming photo shoot that would take place at her house. She was worried about the logistics and weather, and on several occasions, she asked who the hair and makeup artist would be. After the shoot, she emailed to ask if she could have some of the extra photos that weren't used. She was particularly interested in shots showing her crying. <laughs> and the last question the journalist asks her, what would be the show that feels that you feel most comfortable writing for right now? So, sorry, let me read it straight from the article. What would be the show that feels she could most comfortably write for right now? I ask her response, Handmaid's Tale. (laughs) (laughs) Chills. And then she goes on, quote, I've struggled with that show a lot. And I love what they're doing in the world of redemption and what redemption looks like (laughs) and what accountability looks like. It's taken a lot of hits because people have wanted certain survivors characters who are survivors to act a specific way they want them to be less angry or less this or less that and characters are reacting in all different types of ways to pain and to suffering writing for that show would be a dream well keep dreaming finchie she does not feel bad like this is not someone in reading this article it's like she is not exhibiting any to me anyways this is my opinion don't Mm -hmm. finchie if you're listening if you're if your iconic lawyer is listening please don't come after me it's like this is not someone who's exhibiting guilt to me like she loves it she loves it she loves the photo shoot she She wants her photos she literally thinks she's in handmade and she's using that as as an example of like her redemption she could still people have just responded the wrong way to her performance of trauma and if you would just give her the chance to redeem herself you'd all be proven wrong it's like no honey you are crazy this is crazy behavior yeah she is she is of finch for sure um i think we're almost done on her okay she's so much more than a narcissist and a sociopath but if you've never read the narcissist prayer i'm just gonna read it quick it's just so fitting for her so the narcissist prayer is this that didn't happen and if it did it wasn't that bad and if it was that's not a big deal and if it is that's not my fault and if it was i didn't mean it and if i did you deserved it so uh yeah Facts. and it's true <laughs> like you know what speaking of this it's like we've we've all had someone like that in our lives yeah like i mean clap we've all if you have someone like that in your life clap if you ever met a narcissist <laughs> clap if you ever met a narcissist <laughs> exactly so this episode was a bit more serious a little less uh full of the lols but it was fascinating and i'm sure you learned so much that yes. you'll just keep take with you to the grave so i know i'm sure you guys if this was a bit of a heavy episode i mean i think <laughs> next time we'll try to spice it up with someone a little more fun but this is something that i know holly and yeah I have... and it's just fascinating. I'm sure there's going to be like a mini series about this whole thing. There has to be. And you know who Ooh. will write on it? <laughs> Elizabeth Finch. Honestly, the Elizabeth she Finch should. story. Like, who else can tell it like she can? <laughs> but I mean, it's like, look, Anna Delvey. I, oh, Anna yeah. Delvey didn't have a cancer scan, but she did some pretty horrible things. And like, she's having her second act. Like, I, I do not. I do not think Elizabeth Finch deserves a second act. No. But what do I know? I think she should be in jail. How is all of this legal? Yeah, I know. And I like poor Jennifer. Like, what, I also, feel what's so her bad lawyer her. working on? Like, what are we trying <laughs> yeah. to get for her? <laughs> what exactly is her lawyer defending here? Yeah, she ruined many lives with this, especially, I would say, Jennifer. And, and the she families. even, like, she left Gray's before the investigation could be completed. So we yeah. don't, there's no, there's no, you know, completion of that either from Gray's side of things. She just resigned herself. So, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's hands were kind of tied. But, <laughs> anyways. I guess that's everything for today. Yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you're hang like still with us. Of course you are. That's that on Elizabeth Finch. Hopefully forever. I hope so. Okay, we love you guys. More on her later. Bye. I just can't help myself.